Please go ahead and be seated. It is, I think spring is coming. Oh, wow. Thank you, Connor. I, I needed Connor to do that this morning because he wasn't doing anything else. I just wanted to make sure that he was... Oh, he was worshiping. You're right. You're right. You're right. Well, um, it is so good to be with you guys. Um, we are so excited. Uh, a lot of you are. Um, or are you not with March break? Are we excited about March break or no? Because the kids are there. I see. I see. Well, I bask in March break because all my kids are gone. I kicked them out of the house. Um, no, that sounded wrong. Uh, my, my kids are all gone. They're in different places. And um, hopefully we'll be able to see them soon. A lot of things going on. I don't know if you are aware of uh, what has gone on recently. Uh, that is SVB. Anybody knows what SVB is? The Silicon Valley Bank. The Silicon Valley Bank. Most of you have never heard of the Silicon Valley Bank. But uh, the Silicon Valley Bank actually, literally, just went under. It's the second largest U.S. bank in, the, uh, in its history that's ever gone under. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And um, it's quite remarkable what's going on in the world. And so one of the reasons in God's providence as I was thinking about this series that we were doing, especially with uncertainty that comes about in our minds and in our hearts when it comes to money. And we talked about how much God actually talks about money in his word. We talked about the value that God places on money. And how many illustrations were used in the scriptures that Jesus used money quite a bit. It's a topic that is not a popular topic. Certainly with ministers, it's the topic they've done actually surveys on this. It's the topic that ministers least like to talk about. Because oftentimes when it's addressed, it's, it brings about a sense of consternation within the congregation. Um, but uh, I really think that I would not be the person and playing the role that I need to play if I were not, not to talk about this topic that is so prevalent. Not a topic to be scared of. We, we've covered some things and we talked about the idea that actually um, it's God is not really against those who are rich. As a matter of fact, there's nothing in the scripture that talks about that. However, it does talk about the love of money. It talked about what we ought to be pursuing in our life. And we addressed that a little bit yesterday. And so what I want to do for the next four weeks that we actually do this topic is to delve a little deeper into it, okay, and talk about some practical things. 
So the fact we've established that this is a prevalent topic in the scriptures. What I want to do for the next few weeks is actually talk about how this applies to us in a, in a very real sense. You know, and so the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew, in chapter 13, it gives us a little bit of context. In Matthew chapter 13, this is what it says. It's a quite remarkable, actually, scripture in regard to how Jesus talks about this topic. In Matthew chapter 13, in verse 44, it says this. It's up there, I'm sure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, 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 went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. To do that, you'll need to be online. <laughs> Apparently, I, I need to be online. But the Bible tells us that this does not need to be a topic that is full of drudgery. That is filled with consternation. As a matter of fact, it says this man, when he found what he was ultimately looking for, in his joy, I'm not all there yet. And so one of the things that this study has done for me, it has absolutely dug into my heart. And as like my wife said last week, it has challenged my relationship with money. And one of the things we talked about, there is... It doesn't make any sense that the Bible tells us that we ought to deny ourselves, take up our cross, that almost in every area of our life it needed to be turned upside down, yet there's a lot of us that we just keep on going when we have been converted to Christ and our relationship with money has not changed. That doesn't make sense. And so the idea is we want to talk about this and understand what the scripture says about this. And how do we get there? How do we get to the point when it talks about our treasure? You know, it's interesting that scripture did not say that he sacrificed. Mm. 
food for thought. The day I got married, about 30 and a half years ago, and the most beautiful maiden of them all was walking down the aisle, I did not think at all about the cost of the ring that I had bought to put on her finger. I was not thinking, oh my goodness, how much did this cost? This is not a thought in my mind that came across that said, how much is this going to cost when we have kids and how much is it going to cost to buy them food and, buy, and take them to... It was not even a thought. There was not a thought in my mind. Remotely did it communicate to me that this is a sacrifice. And when Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he says this man who sold everything, he did it with joy because he understood something. That's what I want us to delve into. What did he understand that sometimes we don't quite grasp. What did he understand about this kingdom of heaven that he did it with joy, almost without thought about sacrifice? Or whether or not it was a sacrificial thing that he was doing. Let's continue reading. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. In, in Mark chapter 12... We want to paint the picture here, and then we will ultimately get to where we want to go. In Mark chapter 12, in verses 41 and on. So I, I'll go here. This, this is one of those that rolls our feathers a little bit. So when, when it does that, i got to go a little closer, all right? So Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put... And watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Huh. This was done intentionally. It was not by happenstance. That Jesus actually went to the temple and he saw and looked how people handled their money. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say, many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came in and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all give out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. What Jesus did, it says that he noticed. As a matter of fact, he was close enough to observe the two small copper coins. He was watching closely. 
And so, then uses this opportunity as an object lesson to teach his disciples. It was a teaching moment. We will do well to teach on moments that Jesus taught on. We will do well to pay attention. Jesus certainly paid attention. You know, many people who come here for the first time ask us the question, you guys don't pass a plate. What goes on? You guys are, must be really rich. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't, I don't want to brag or anything, but... Uh, <laughs> we, uh, and then I, I use that as an opportunity to help people understand we believe members of the congregation are the ones who ought to be able to do this. And this person had insisted on giving some money. And I said, Tony Singh. And the H is silent, okay, on the check. I'm only kidding. And then I said, if you want to do that, please feel free to. We're not going to stop you. But we believe that it's the responsibility of the members of the congregation to be able to, to do what needs to be done. And when you understand what needs to be done, then you can able to be able to have a proper relationship with money. But Jesus notices. It's not like he says, oh, okay, man, I am so glad you see me as your savior and you have given your life over to me, but your relationship on the most popular topic that's written in the word, it doesn't need, you don't even need to think about it. It has no logical deduction. But we want to get back to this idea, right? of what it means to do it with joy. Amen. Let's turn to a scripture that we looked at last week, but I want to delve a little bit deeper. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where Thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so Jesus does not say that we shouldn't store up treasures. As a matter of fact, he just talks about where we ought to store up our treasures. I mean, if you were to put up those two scriptures, 19 and 20, the beginning of the one says, do not store up treasures. That's how it starts. 20 says, do store up treasures. Well, which one is it, Jesus? That's why we got to read whole, read whole sentences. Amen. It says, do not store up treasures on earth but store up treasures in heaven 
Because on earth, it gets destroyed. I'm worried this way, that I pay attention to what happens in the financial world. Okay, I, I uh, studied economics in school, and I was going to go do a law MBA degree, and, and so that kind of stuff I'm weird with. I, I have never seen a, a, a courtroom drama that I don't like. There's no such thing, okay? I mean, it just fires me up. And so those two combinations just, just fires me up, right? And so, and so Jesus tells us that we ought not to store ourselves here <coughs> treasures on earth because it's simply not a good idea. Because you know why? It's going to get destroyed. Well, let me illustrate this a little further. You guys know who John D. Rockefeller is? Reputed to be the richest American to have ever lived. They said, they estimated that if he were to be alive today um, without any crazy projection, he'd be worth $400 billion. That's with a B. Okay? He could buy a few sticks of gum with that for sure. When he died... This was what was said. Someone asked, you know, uh, we're always curious about this. Do you ever do this? Like, do you ever Google someone and find out their net worth? I do. <laughs> I did mine, and the computer <laughs> laughed. So I do. Uh, it's curious. I think that's what this person did, right? This person said, hey, he asked the, uh, Jay, uh, Rockefeller's accountant, so how much money did he leave? He said, all of it. All of it. All of it. You know, there are times that we don't realize that what we have, not properly invested, is for somebody else to enjoy, or at worst, it's a terrible investment. And Jesus gives us the idea, it's not whether or not we should store up treasures, it's where we're storing up treasures. I will reason with you. I, like I've told you, I'm a, I'm a nut this way. 2016, in India, they wanted to curb the fraud and tax evasion that was going on in India. Because a lot of what goes on in India is actually cash situations. Say, they say that in India, there were only about 1% of the people that were actually paying taxes. They, by the way, just recently passed China to become the most populated place on earth, 1.4 billion. So what the government did, 
They said, what we're going to do to be able to curb this, we are going to overnight tell you, literally no warning, the 500 rupees and the 1,000 rupee bill are no longer worth anything. Because what people were doing were literally keeping money at home. So when they did even bought properties, they will literally take thousands of rupees and so there will be no taxes, liability that people were involved in. And so the government says, overnight, your 500 rupee and your 1,000 rupees are invaluable. They have no value. You cannot use them as legal as a tender. You open up your note, your, 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 your bills, it says legal tender. You know what legal tender means? It means you could use it to exchange and buy things. It's not legal tender anymore. You have 50 days in which you can go to the bank and exchange it for a new, but after that, it's worthless. They did that in Nigeria as well. They're doing that right now. Can you imagine, I say, no, I'm going to defy it. All that money I have in my mattress, those 500,000 bill rupees, I am not. What is that going to be worth in 50 days? Nothing. Nothing. Does it make any sense then for me to actually invest and buy more 500 rupee bills and 1,000 rupee bills? By the way, interestingly, they made a 2,000 rupee bill and another 500 rupee bill, but that five, the first 500 rupee bill could not be used. It's one way to curb the tax evasion that was going on. If you want to know more about it, come and see me later. We'll talk about it, okay? But the essence of what I'm trying to share with you is that if you know something is going to be worthless, why invest in it? Why pour yourself in it? Why live as if it's what we ought to be investing ourselves in? And so, we talk about the idea of actually understanding what are we to do with what we have. How do we get and put this all together and figure out that we get to a point of joy Not reluctantly, or under compulsion, but Paul writes and he says to do it cheerfully. And a phrase that I, I used last week, it says, it's not how much money we have, but how much money has us. It's an important question for us to understand. And so, how do we get there? Jesus tells us. He says we ought to be putting our money where it does not 
get destroyed. And a concept that I had read about that I think is really applicable here is this idea, as when Rockefeller said, well, well, as accountant said, well, how much did he leave? Everything. While you can't take it with you, there's a concept that says you can actually send it ahead. You can send it ahead. I'm going to nerd out on you a little bit here. Have you guys ever heard of a company called Ship Sticks? You're obviously malnourished as a person. <laughs> what ship sticks are is that if you want to ship your golf clubs ahead of, instead of carrying it where you're going to go, you can actually ship your sticks ahead. And it's actually going to be at the golf course. It's going to be at the golf course when you get there. You don't have to drag it around with you. You don't have to worry about the car that you're renting where you're going, well or not if the, if the, if the sticks are going to fit in that car, but you can actually send it ahead. There is an idea in the scriptures that you can actually invest for the future. And to know that the results are going to be phenomenal. This is the best investment you can make and the idea is would we use the money that we have here to be able to help not a lusting after not a desire to get rich not that being rich is problematic but what do we do with that wealth that we have gotten. And you know how you know? <coughs> Check your bank statement. Check your credit cards. Check where you spend your money. Oh, not what you would like to. Not what Theoretically, that sounds like a good idea to say. But there's an accountability on those bank statements and those credit card statements that asks and answers the question, where are we investing our treasures? Where are we investing our treasures? You know what they tell us? By the time you are 20 years old, with the amount of peop time that people spend watching television, you know how many commercials a 20-year-old would have seen? One million. But, of course, it has no impact on me. I'm stronger than that. So these people love to waste their money by spending it on marketing. Of course, it's ridiculous to say that, right? To actually say it out loud. We're bombarded. That tells us. That shirt, that car, that hairstyle, that shoes, those socks, 
those windows, you just make it up. What, sorry? Food. The food. <laughs> that somehow you need a better one. And Satan's goal is not for us necessarily to blast our face. For that appeals to some. But for most of us, it's insidious and gradual. Let me use an illustration about this investment thing. Melanie and I have owned 12 cars since we've been married. We bought them new. We have one car now. Twelve cars in our driveway. <laughs> the other seven are in my neighbor's garage. I have one car now. You know where those other 11 cars are? In car, junkyard, heaven. Hell, hell which one you want. You, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> now, hopefully, some of that money that I spent on that car were used to serve people and so on. But the idea is, I, don't, I didn't add up. I didn't... I didn't add up how much money that was. But you know how much money it has rewarded me here on earth? Junk, car, heaven. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. What are investment in? How are we sending it ahead. Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. You can do it. There's nothing that Jesus talks about that he lies, right? He's not a liar, is he? And so he says that we ought to be able to do this in heaven. But I I've got to be honest with you. There's a struggle because I have bought into the mindset and, and, and that there are times that I'm concerned and perhaps, dare I even say, worried about my retirement. And I gotta tell you, I'm not sure I have the balance right now. That's just as honest as I can get with you. I sure hope I've sent some treasures way beyond the blue. I hope what awaits me. But it's not a pipe dream. It doesn't have to be. If Jesus says it's possible then I think it is. Scratch that. Then I know it is. But only you can answer that question.
Only you can. I can't. We can talk if you'd like, and I'll share my thoughts on it. Our relationship with money. Roku, one of the companies that had their money with SVB Bank, had cash assets of $1.9 billion. Five of it, they're probably not going to see again. $500 million. You think if they knew that that would happen, they were going to make that deposit with, with SVP Bank? Why would you give good treasures to have it actually be rotted and vermin eating it away? Or junkyard get and the worms in the junkyard, so to speak, eating away at my Grand Caravan, my Honda Civic, my Honda Accord, my Buick Century, my Lion K, my K car, sweet, first one I had. <laughs> and so that makes no sense, right? Yet there are times we do that with that which God has entrusted to us. And so we ask ourselves a question. The Bible gives us this idea that we money actually is not ours. It's actually the Lord's. In Psalm 24, and we'll land here in a second, Psalm 24, in verse 1, it says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Do we believe that? Let me tell you what I used to think. So I journeyed this earth for 19 years. And then I started to get serious about my spiritual life. And I said, and the concept that was put before me, it says, Tony, when you give to the Lord's work, you ought to give 10%. At least. Can I share with you? It's okay if I share with you guys? Sure. So, my dad had given me an early inheritance of $100,000. In 1990. I gave a substantial amount, way more than 10%. And I believe, boy, how good. Boy, you are just so spiritual. I should tell people and probably put it in the bulletin how much it was. Of course, I didn't say that out, you know, but things in your mind. I thought then, I said, okay, you know what? 10% is the Lord's in general. That's not what it says in Psalm 24. And I used to have the disposition, oh, 10% is God's. 
No, all of it is. You don't need to turn there, but in Haggai chapter 2, it says, God says, the silver and gold, all mine. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, you know what he says? I have given you the ability to produce wealth. And I thought, man, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start giving 11%, 12%. I'm not going to do the minimum. I'm just going to go out and show people the Lord. The Lord is going to see how great I art. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that phrase again. Oh, dogs. My wife says you can't use that joke ever again. But I started to understand my relationship with money. And it's the funny thing. I was richer in university than I am now. And I make infinitely more money now than I did when I was in university. How does that happen? Did my disposition change? Oh, man. Did, did this happen to me, this trap? In Psalm 49, I'll just read it for you. There's a scripture there. It says in verse 16, says, do not be overawed when others grow rich. When the splendor of their houses increase. For they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Did I buy into that? And by the way, we can always find someone who is greedier than us. Always. This idea is not to be in some comparative sense. It's for you to examine the word of God and how the spirit of God speaks to you. Our disposition and our giving to help those who are poor. The cause for the Lord. You know, last night we had a chance to spend some time with all the Ukrainians that moved here. It was fantastic. It was one of the best Saturdays I've ever had, in spite of the fact that Alex was there. <laughs> Alex B, not Alex P, amen. No, but it's fantastic. There's no way that we would be able to actually be a bastion of faith, a house, a place where we can actually have real impact on people's lives who are going through untold challenges.
Sometimes I get distracted. I, I'm driving here. Melanie and I were talking. And we said, oh, man, the car, it sounds, it sounds like the tires are not on solid. Yep. And that's our problem. These guys literally fled running for their lives. not knowing what will await them, but by faith says there's a community of faith, faithful believers in Ottawa, that we're going to go and entrust ourselves to them. What is that going to look like? Talking with Lena and Herman, she lost, they lost her luggage of Herman's clothes. It's been 20 days, more than that. And these are not wealthy people by any stretch of imagination. You know what the crazy thing is? I am begging them, please tell me what you need to a man, woman, and child all of them, except for the children who want chocolate and ice cream. I'm okay. I don't need a thing. I know different. I know different. I can't imagine. I moved to the United States. 2001. And it was a little disheveling. And I moved to the United States to a church of 2,500 disciples. It was insane. I moved there, and the truck went ahead of me, and by the time we got there, all our clothes were in drawers, groceries were stacked, the fridge was filled, food was on the table. That's not what these guys moved to. If we did not have a community, a faith community, that is strong, to be able to house these kinds of things. That's why the local church and its health is irreplaceable. So much so, you know what the government says? The government says, we believe this government, yes, this one, says, um, we believe so much in the local church that we're actually going to reward you for giving to it. We're not going to charge them any taxes. Not only are we not going to charge them any taxes, if you want to give, we're going to reward you with money that you are going to give. Does the government believe more in the local church than you do? And by the way, I'm not talking about a liberal or conservative government. Please understand, that's not it. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about sensibility. About putting our treasures right up way beyond the blue. When my boys 
who were disciples, my daughter is not yet one, asked me when they were students, Dad, how do I deal with the money that I have? I said, all six bucks? <laughs> no, but uh, on a serious note, I taught them some principles that I think that the Bible teaches about being generous, not only to people, but to the Lord's work. work. If you're not going to be faithful with $6, you think you're going to be faithful with 200000 a year? When we were trapped in a fire hall, my son went up to the volunteer fire department and says, hey, can we make a donation without prompting and give a significant amount of money because they housed us. Totally unprompted. If you're not going to be filled with a little, what do you think he's going to do when he gives you a million? Two million. Twenty million. This idea of investing with the poor, with the mission, with giving. It's how we put it ahead. And I know what happens sometimes. Is that the more we have, it's harder to part with. You know what God says? Said, do you not think I know what your needs are? But we've got to figure out, and we'll talk in a more practical sense, is this idea of sending it ahead. Understanding we are simply managing a portfolio that God has given me. Making $25,000 a year. That's below minimum wage. Below minimum. You know, if you make $25,000 a year, in your lifetime, you would have had to manage a million dollars without any cost of living increase. If I'm God's manager and it's money, I have to answer to the question, what did I do with that money? And I know this is the most popular topic. And believe you me, I don't care what you give to the Lord and his work in a manner of speaking. I don't know. I don't know what you give. I have no idea. The only people that I know that gives in this church, what they give, names end with sing. And not the other things, the, the just Melanie and Tony. 
but I know I've got to be a lot more cognizant of how I manage, not the 10% that I somehow convince myself if I give anything beyond that, I'm super spiritual. But all of it. All of it. It's his. And so, I'll close with this thought. I can tell by the quietness. I can tell what happens. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's a concept here as we take the Lord's Supper that ought to, we ought to let that sink in a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? Here it is. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. I know, I know the thing to say that nobody owns me. You're not a boss of me. You're owned. It just depends who's your owner. The Bible says when we become a Christian, we're no longer our own. This is not an additive. Christianity in a relationship with God is not an additive to our life. It's deformative. We were bought at a price. You know what that price was? We all do, right? It's the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ. The price that was paid for you and I. We come together on a Sunday morning and we sing songs about it. We fellowship about it. We hear a message that hopefully stirs us and inspires us. But ultimately you have to answer before God. Please, for the love of Jesus, do not do something because Tony says so. Because <laughs> if it were up to me, I would say a lot of things, a lot of different things. I will hug you more. The words will be dripping from my lips as if it were honey. And it, I would literally not cause you to have any squirming in your seat. If it were up to me. But I no longer am my own. This concept is even in a marriage. When I... When I get married, I belong to this lovely woman. In case you're wondering where I'm pointing, it's Melanie. <laughs> I'm no longer, I am not free to do what I want with this body. 
I am no longer my own. And so as we think about what Christ has done for us, to us, and because of us, as we think about the cost that it cost him so that we can be bought, that our bought, that we can be ransomed, so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be paid for, that our sins can be washed away. Because we have been bought with a price. And it was not two for a dollar. And I know I want to store up for myself not treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. What's awaiting me? Last week? This week? You know, every month, I put aside a sum of money that I put in a retirement fund. Am I more faithful to that treasure, that vermin, than I am to the treasure that will not be destroyed? It's getting real there. And so, what, what do we do? What's my point with all of this? Look in the perfect law. Look in the mirror. Answer these questions. The word is there. Apparently that's the end of my sermon. <laughs> the word is there so that we can absolutely look in the mirror and say, you know what? With what the guy did at first in his joy. Not squirmy when I'm sitting there. In his joy. That's his disposition. In his joy. Man, I remember when I bought those cars and I went there and it smelled so good and now it's in worms are eating them. What do I have to show for that? So as we reflect on the fact that we have been bought with a price and that price was indeed Christ and what he has sacrificed for us, let's really think about investing and storing up for ourselves. Yes, we ought to store up treasures. Don't, don't misunderstand what the scripture teaches. But it's where we store up those treasures. Let's give thanks to God. Father, we're just so grateful that we have an opportunity every Sunday to come and be encouraged by fellowship, certainly by singing, and prayerfully that your spirit works through the preaching of your word. And that, Father, we come and recalibrate about who we are and whose we are and what, who, who has bought us. And that we have been redeemed and ransomed by your son, and not because he just said so, but because he showed the sacrificial love that he had for us by buying back our souls. And it cost us nothing less
in your son's blood. As we take these emblems that represent the body and the blood of Christ, I pray, Father, that we are grateful and that we're thinking more soberly about where our treasures are stored. Help us to understand while we can't take it with us, we can send it ahead. Help us to be shrewd and wise managers for that which you have given us. And then when we are called before you to give an account, we will joyfully talk about how we have been good stewards, good managers of what you have given us. And what you have given us, we celebrate this morning, your son. His name and to your glory, we offer up this prayer. Amen.